You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for episode number 508. Thank you all for tuning in. We're going to be looking at the Westminster Larger Catechism. I was going to say confession there for a second. The Westminster Larger Catechism. And we're getting closer and closer to the end of the Westminster Larger Catechism. And we're going to be going from question 176. And I think we ended it in a weird place the last time, but we'll continue on from where we are. Still looking at questions on baptism and the Lord's Supper. Again, if you have any questions in regarding to anything I've said, please um, ask away. Um, get a radio, and it's M-E-G-I-D-D-O, radio at gmail.com for any questions you may have. And uh, please allow a few weeks. Sometimes, sometimes these programs are recorded, these programs that are put up they usually not record on the day that they're uploaded and um i haven't been able to do that for some time um largely due to busyness and things like that and i kind of record them one after sometimes in batches and so there might be a bit of a gap in between me answering your question we're going to be doing Question 176 and 177 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. We're dealing with the Lord's Supper to a degree still, and there was a question that was sent to me by a a listener uh, to the program uh, who have asked for permission to respond to this email via the program, and I don't know how long we'll spend on this, but I think it's a very, very important issue. I've asked, so I've no names, personal details will be mentioned in this. I will try to keep it as vague. Sometimes it'll be certain I won't read it word for word. Um, I might have to pause for a while because I don't want to give away details. I kind of want, there's a sense in which, okay. I don't mind people sending questions like this because I hope, hopefully I'm, I'm approachable, but there's also another sense in which I'm not going to be able to help you as much as your own minister is going to be able to help you. And your own elders. And if you're not in a situation like that, you need to be. And um, the, the person emailed me is having trouble in assurance which very much ties in with the Lord's Supper. This is kind of why I wanted to cover this email now. And this person has a few people that this person knows. And they're being told things about their struggle with sin, which is not really helping. Um, now, just to be clear, the email... Let me look through it. Doesn't mention it doesn't actually mention anything about the Lord's Supper. But 
assurance of salvation, if you don't have, often people who don't have assurance of salvation, many of them will stay away from the Lord's table. And this has been an issue I've been very, very burdened about for years. One of the reasons I've been burdened about assurance of salvation issues is because I had a big change when I got saved. In March of 2009, I was, I don't want to go into, I don't like jazzy up my testimony or anything like that, but I was living my old lifestyle, shall we say, partying or whatever else up until early March 2009. And um, it was probably one of the lowest points of my life right before I got saved. And, um, and then afterwards, I'm stranded at home for a week and a half. Part of the reason for that was I didn't have my car. I lost it. I was complete, well, not far off a delinquent, really. And which is, you know, an embarrassing thing to admit, but that's what happened. And um, I'm at home, not able to go partying with my friends or anymore. And I, I got saved. This is middle of March 2009. Big change in my life. I met up with a few buddies not too long after that. And I remember... Uh, having a few drinks at a bar. I don't uh, don't recommend that, but I was a young believer. And I remember just not having the thirst to get drunk anymore. That was one of the first things that changed. And I went from somebody who used to swear a lot to being really just not liking swearing. Um, do I sometimes... Do we th- sometimes think sometimes in our mind, sometimes inadvertently let these things slip out or whatever the case may be. Yeah, unfortunately, we're sinners. And that happened to me afterwards. I'm not saying that, you know, when you overcome these things that you won't struggle in some way, shape, or form. Uh, I wouldn't say that at all. It's pretty much arrogance to say that, oh, you've complete victory over it and you're done with a particular sin. One thing I did, this is just one thing I've never really struggled with. I did drink very heavily before getting saved. And after getting saved, it was one of the first things that changed. And I think it was more, I was just content. I had a joy in my heart and peace with Christ. And hopefully that will come out. That That's really the way to overcome and deal with sin and deal with issues of assurance. Is that joy and contentment and peace that you find with Christ even now. Even now. And we'll we'll have greater tastes of it in the future. But this person who emailed me anyway, that they have somebody or people in his, you know what, I'm not, I have no idea if it's a, apologies, I don't know if, if it's a him or a her, so I'm going to say him, uh, apologies if it's not, and um, so in his circle, and they're kind of going, they're kind of talking about sin in such a way that Well, their obedience is going to be more than their sin. So if they're sinning more than obeying in a particular day, you're under the dominion of sin. I've never heard anything like this before, and I don't know 
I'm sure there's people out there who teach such things. There's all sorts of legalism. This is what this is, legalism. And so, therefore, if in an hour-by-hour basis you go through how you're living and you see, oh, I'm, I'm sinning more than I'm obeying or something like that. And so you're, you're lost. And an issue of percentage of obedience kind of came up in the email as well. This is not the way you ought to think about coming before the Lord. If you're coming towards the Lord's Supper or anything else like that. Um, I know the Lord's Supper wasn't mentioned in this email, but I'm going to tie that in as well, just with the larger catechism. The question is not your level of obedience. The question is, are you looking to Jesus Christ? If you are trusting your obedience in any way, shape or form, you're, you're lost. You can see that when they, when they cry, Lord, Lord, have we not done many mighty works in thy name? Matthew 7, verses 21, 22 and 23. Then I will say unto them, I never knew you. So, we can't look to our works. We look to Jesus' finished, perfect, complete work. And if we're looking unto him, no matter how much of a disaster we may be at times, we are saved. As long as we are looking to him and not to ourselves at all. Will there be fruit and evidence that the Lord has done work in your heart? Yes, there will be. The amount, some tenfold. Some a hundredfold, it will depend on the person. Some are, will produce more fruit than others. So we, we should never look at our level of obedience. What you should notice over time is, by God's grace, is yes, putting sin to death. Having victory over sin. But it doesn't mean you won't struggle with that sin again. Or that you won't be tempted by it. But as you grow in maturity, what you'll do more and more, Lord willing, is you trust yourself less and less. But none of these efforts save you. None of these efforts save you. So I hope that this is clear um, to this writer in. Um, this person's bringing up 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 1 to 4. So let's go look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We will get to the larger catechism. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I don't want to... This is quite a... And I think... I can only answer this question really in a very limited way in either by email or any other way. The, the only way that you're going to have... When people struggle with assurance, there needs to be kind of a, I could say, a wrestling with the Lord. It needs to take place on your knees in prayer. Looking to Jesus, finding joy and peace and contentment in Jesus alone, not in your performance. Spending time alone with him. But he brings up 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
verses 1 to 4, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but unto the carnal, as unto babes in Christ, or fed you with milk and not with meat, and hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither were you, were you now able. For you are carnal, whereas you are among envying strife divisions, and you are not carnal, but walk as men. For while one saith, I'm of Paul, and saith, I'm of Paulus, are you not carnal? Now, from my understanding of that verse that is mentioned there, it's a rebuke that they haven't matured. It's not saying you're all lost. Paul doesn't know their hearts. And actually, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, what does he say? Um, he calls them all, you know, addressing them, saints. Where does it say there? Yeah, called to be saints, for, verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, will some of them be unregenerated? Yeah, but you're going to get that in the best of churches anywhere. But Paul's not saying, you're lost, you're lost because of the amount of fruit. He's not going around as a fruit inspector. But if somebody has a lack of fruit and a lack of maturity they should be gently rebuked and encouraged to grow in grace. But it's not saying, hey, you, ha you have a little bit less fruit than the other person, therefore you're lost. It shouldn't be really understood that way. And uh, I had the question, look, will you ha look, when you get saved, what will happen sometimes is this. The Lord will take certain things away from you and the Lord will leave other things. There's a certain... You can fall into all sorts of sins. You can fall back into all sorts of sins. David, was David saved when he fell into, you know, David with murder? Adultery? Repents then later? Psalm 51. I'm not saying any of these things are good. Of course they're not. Um, Solomon. Many wives, concubines did he have? So I think we need to be careful saying how... Now, when we fall into sin and we're unrepentant and we stay in that lifestyle and we love it and we we refuse to listen to church censure and discipline rebuke, that, that's another issue entirely. But it's not just about, hey, I know I'm saved. No, no. It's not just about, I know I'm saved and make sure I'm going to heaven. It's about, I love the Lord and want to glorify him with my life. Um, the second question is more about what does it mean to be struggling with sin or uh, fighting against sin? Well, if you love your sin, you're not going to struggle against it. You're going to struggle with the law of God, and you're going to not like it. None of us are going to obey perfectly. Because if we, if we could do that, then Jesus is not needed. Jesus is needed <laughs> and necessary, and he obeyed the law perfectly. There's never been one second of our lives where we have loved the Lord our God with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength. You can name there's a couple of there's a couple of really bad sins, and I could 
add a couple of more, you know, the typical stuff that people would, it, what if I'm still committing, you know, involved in pornography? Does that mean I'm definitely lost? No, but I'd be concerned. But, you know, name this sin, and if you're, no, if you are, can you fall back into it? Yeah, of course you can. The danger is, though, you, you leave behind these things and you get self-righteous. And then you enter into a nurse and when it comes to name the pornography one, don't trust yourself. The danger is we think we have to reach a certain level of sanctification, a certain level of performance, looking unto Jesus. I also don't want to make people get casual with certain serious sins, such as pornography and other things, as um, you know, drug use. There's, I mean, and this is a reality in some churches. Some people go to churches, they may or may not be converted. We don't know. We'll see how they'll grow or may not. They may be, have drug addictions and hopefully leave those drugs behind. But they're going to have different struggles to other people. You know, if, if you're addicted to heroin, And you come to know the Lord. Will there be a change in your heart? Yes. But will your struggles be exactly the same as the nice, clean, living person down the road? No, they're not going to be the same. And, and don't compare yourself with other people. Just don't. However, why should you... You don't like just say, I'm going to overcome these sins in order to get into hell. Or and, and sorry, in order to get into heaven, you think I, I hate my sin. I hate when I sin against God because I love God. I want to live a life that glorifies God. That's it. And why do I want to live that way? Because God has saved me. But there are certain situations if we live perpetually. If we live perpetually in a state of sin and love our sin and there's no change in us and we're not, well, then there's, there's warnings to that person. But you don't overcome sin by your own willpower or counting how many times you backslide or anything like that. We sin because we don't have enough joy in the Lord. You can't have a measuring tape and say, okay, well, as long as I don't fall back this many times or whatever. When we get saved out of a sinful lifestyle or a sinful past, here's what God will often do. He will take certain things from your, from you to, you know, to show you you're different. You're different than you were. But then there'll be certain things that are still in your life and you fall into. There are people who will backslide very badly and turn and return to the Lord. The danger is we think, I am definitely a Christian. I'm never going to fall into this sin. 
That's self-righteousness. Um, so the question is not the amount of fruit. Are you looking to Jesus and, and to Jesus alone? And if you're looking to Jesus and to Jesus alone, don't trust yourself. If you're struggling with certain sins, don't think about a level of performance before you're saved because you've replaced it with another works religion. You tr- it's by faith alone, in Jesus alone. And yes, the, he will do a work in you. Trust him. He will change you to find more satisfaction in him and more dissatisfaction in your sin. What level do we need to get to? I mean, that's an impossible metric. But what you should seek for as a believer in Jesus Christ to grow. Now, to the person who's emailed me this, you need... I don't know what kind of church this person's in, but you need support and help and encouragement from a godly Christian church. You need to not trust yourself. Anything you're falling back into, find out what is causing that. Eliminate that thing from your life. Give you an example. Perhaps it's an innocent enough movie, but it makes you think lustful thoughts, and before you know it, you're going that direction. Cut either the movie out, or maybe don't watch movies. Seriously, this is serious business. When you're... It's it's robbing you of assurance. Now, there are things you can take away, you know, like even, and Jesus even talks about that. If, if, if your eye causes you to sin, you know, remove it. But are you spending serious time alone with the Lord? Or are you doing the bare minimum? And I found in my early walk, I struggled with a number of sins until I spent some serious time alone with the Lord. So find joy and peace and, and contentment in Christ, more of Christ, to the glory of Christ. Then also at the same time, do not trust yourself alone with that sin, whatever's causing you to stumble. Um, because the problem is when you fall into that sin, it will rob you of assurance. It will, if you're saved, it won't take away your salvation. Now, the danger is, the danger in all I've just said here is you're trusting your own works and your own performance, or the people who are giving you advice are trusting in their own works. And you can be religious, just like the Pharisees were, trusting in your own works and still expecting, look, look at my performance. And Jesus will say, I, I never knew you. You must be looking unto Jesus alone and having no confidence in the flesh. Do not. Trust your self. And it's very hard to give advice to people of this nature without being directly involved. 
So take my advice with a massive grain of salt, okay? I, I'm not involved closely in the situation. This is why, as imperfect as your minister will be, or your elders will be, they have a better, they've got their finger in the pulse in a far better situation. And you need to be involved. I don't know how involved this person is in a in a in a in a sound, reformed, God fearing church or whatever the case may be. But it's under elders that you're going to get the best help in these areas. And um, hopefully that's been a a blessing and a help. Okay, so that's and and those issues of assurance. Struggles of assurance play havoc of people and it prevents them going to the Lord's table. And I pray by God's grace that this person who's wrote in is in his church. Have you looked to Jesus and to Jesus alone? As you come to the Lord's table, have there are we're gonna all discover things we've fallen short in. And as we approach, we seek to repent in those areas. Maybe we figure, figure out that we haven't really forgiven somebody or we're not forbearing somebody or whatever the case may be. And we say we need to repent in those areas as we come before the Lord, that we would grow and feed upon Christ. So because the devil wants to keep true believers away from the Lord's table, uh, but he also wants false converts to come to the Lord's table to eat and drink damnation unto their own souls. Question 176 of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Wherein do the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper agree? So this is um, dealing with how the sacraments agree. Because they do have points of commonality. They are different in their own way. We'll look at that in Question 177. Question 176. The sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper agree and that the author of both is God. Okay. I think it's kind of self-explanatory enough that God is the one who, the author of both. The spiritual part, it says, of both is Christ and his benefits. We'll go back over that in a second. Both are seals of the same covenant talk about that in a second as well, are to be dispensed by ministers of the gospel and by none other and to be continued in the church of Christ until his second coming. Now, so the first part is kind of a self-explanatory enough that the author both is God. The spiritual part both is Christ and his benefits. So when we, by faith, look to Jesus, who has been who's been pointed toward in the sacraments and his promises and benefits, we, we, we receive more of Christ by faith. You could say the sign of, it points toward Christ and his benefits. And his benefits are, one of the benefits is greater assurance of salvation. Again, we're all different. We all have different struggles. Um, 
the the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think that's um, Nehemiah 8. I think it's verse 10. It says, both are seals of the same covenant. So a seal, think of at the end of a document and you see a seal of, say, you get your degree from a university of whatever university you go through. And at the end, you'll see a seal so that you have greater confidence in what is said in that promise and a degree that's been awarded to the people or to the person being awarded to. So the seal kind of gives confidence in there. This is why... Um, it's important too this proper preparation for people in the Lord's Supper because I feel like the proper benefits and blessings including assurance of salvation knowing that you know Christ are really ignored and it becomes a blind faith and jump in the dark kind of thing and um Miss out on many of those blessings. So both baptism, the so the the same same covenant, the promises of baptism to be washed clean from your sin by the blood of Christ, by faith in that same Christ, and the Lord's Supper is to be fed by that same Christ who has saved you by his blood. And both baptism and the Lord's Supper are to be dispensed or administered by ministers of the gospel. You know, sometimes be referred to as minister of word and sacrament and none other. You know, we we are not to take it upon ourselves to to dispense or to I've seen there was a guy I followed years ago on the interwebs <laughs> and he hasn't been on the internet for quite a long time now. So from what I know anyway. And I saw he did a conference or something years and years ago and baptized somebody. And sometimes people get big on the internet. They've never been ordained. They've never been recognized by the church as being set apart for this role. That Christ has called them into this. That they are ministers of the gospel, word of, of word and sacrament. And they will take it upon themselves because they're popular, either YouTubers or podcasters or whatever, that they can baptize somebody. You can't. They're not. See, baptism is not just saying, hey, I'm saved. Baptism is recognizing you as a as part of the visible church. You know, so I said the visible church. It is someone in leadership. There needs to be some setting apart for that. It can't just be because it's complete maverick mentality. And look, in fairness to the person, maybe they were such a new Christian they didn't really know what they were, what they were doing was wrong, but I, I digress. I'm sure it happens other times. Make sure if you're seeking to be baptized, you are seeking in the process of it, say you've been saved out of the world or whatever the case may be, to become part of that church. That's part of the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I think people 
forget this so much in the Great Commission. At the end of Matthew 28, it says this, verse 19 and 20, Go ye therefore, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Where will you be instructed in that? In the bosom of the church. In the church. The Great Commission is making disciples who join the church. It's not about decisions. It's it's not about how many people raise their hand and all this kind of stuff that's come in through revivalism in the last 200 years. It's to do with who are disciples. Teaching them to observe all things. Disciples. It's not just about numbers of salvation. It's disciples. We don't just want them to trust in Jesus today and then float around and whatever. We want that person to become a a member, a part of the church, a blessed part of the church, to grow, to be blessed, to be helped, to be strengthened, encouraged by seeing the baptism of other people and by partaking of the Lord's Supper and being built up by Christ among his people, being blessed by being in the presence of God at public worship and learning and growing and in so doing all that that they glorify God. Rather than these fragments of a person saved apparently and then they never go to church again or whatever the case may be. If you're somebody who's been to church, hasn't been to church for years, that's, or maybe months or whatever, that's something, something's wrong. You know, if you haven't gone to church for a couple of months or whatever, I'm not saying you're definitely lost. I'm not saying that. Something's wrong, though. Why aren't you? Oh, but, and I'm sure you'll be listening to this and have all the excuses in the world. Well, it's a bit of a travel around. How how far away is, your, is the church? Are you willing to make sacrifices to get there? Maybe the church is an hour away. Is it not worth it? Is Christ not worth it? Now, try to move closer if you can, obviously. But disciples of Christ. Okay, let's look at this. Um, And it says, and, and then... This is the end of question 176. And to be continued in the church of Christ until his second coming. So this is talking about baptism and Lord's Supper. Are both to be continued in the church until Christ returns. Okay, I think probably that's okay with most people. If any, if that's not true, we get a radio at gmail.com for any questions. Question 177. Wherein do the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper differ. So we've looked at how they're the same, but how are they different? And I think I might 
have gone over this before, so I'm not going to spend too long on this. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper differ in that the baptism is to be administered but once with water. I think most people agree with that, um, but I'll come back to that in a second, but I'll just give it a few, just make a few comments in a bit. To be a sign and seal of our regeneration in, in grafting into Christ, and then even to infants. Whereas the Lord's Supper is to be administered often in the elements of bread and wine to represent and to exhibit Christ as spiritual nourishment to the soul and to confirm our continuance and growth in him. And that only as such as are of years and ability to examine themselves. So here's the difference. Okay. Um, There are some issues, which are more issues, I think, in American churches, which regard to paedo-communion, when they think that some churches believe that because anybody's baptized, and they baptize infants, so therefore they should be able to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, the The very fact that you have to examine yourself but let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Um, a child cannot do that, and is not at the maturity level to do that. A b- baptism is different. Baptism is to recognize somebody's part of the visible church. But n- not everybody of every age, for example, in the Old Testament, partook of the Passover. It was only when they hit about, was it 12 or something like that, when, when they were able to do that. So young people, I think minimum of age 12, maybe a bit older, whatever the case may be, reach the point where they understand and can discern and to know that they belong to Christ. So they're not eating and drinking ignorantly. That's not good. When they come to an ability to examine themselves, come of years, maturity. Baptism is to recognize in a lot of ways the those are part of the visible church, and part of the visible church is believers and their children, those who profess faith in Jesus Christ and their children. So and it's to be administered but once. Um the Lord's Supper uh many times and with water baptism or so we're still doing water baptism I mean I think most people would agree that you should only do baptism once I think the only thing is what happens is baptism gets invalidated through various different understandings of the the sacrament, whether we believe it's objective or subjective, and by objective I mean um, objective, you're kind of giving an example. A Roman Catholic priest, and the Roman the Roman Church is a false church. It's been cut off through unbelief from the visible church since the Reformation. But a Roman Catholic priest could read, I don't know, from from the scriptures. You know, they read parts of the Bible. And if a person hears the word of God being read, in the midst of all the paganism and all the uh, 
idolatry that takes place in those service in 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 the mass. But if they believe that what is what is read in the word of God in the service, then they're saved. If, no, if they trust, if the gospel, if an element of the gospel is there in that in that portion read out. So that's objective. It doesn't matter that the the priest is unconverted. It's possible. I have never heard of anybody getting saved that way, but that's what I mean by objective. It doesn't become the word of God because of the person reading it. You know, you may have gotten saved through an unconverted reprobate preacher, a backslidden preacher or whatever, but the word of God is objectively true, regardless of who's preaching it or not preaching it or the state of that person or whatever. The issues like of this nature kind of came up during the Donatist controversy and the Donatists kind of came to the conclusion almost that, well, these people are maybe un- unconverted, so therefore, well, does that invalidate baptism and they would baptize again? And it's a bit of an oversimplification, but issues of this nature kind of came up during the Donatist controversy around the time of Augustine, the famous early church father. And baptism isn't invalidated by the fact that the person is a heretic or by the fact that you were unconverted at the time. I know that may be convert. Uh, controversial for some because it we've done this in other programs but it it is New Testament circumcision in place of circumcision and circumcision was done once baptism is done once we don't have to get baptized after we get saved you know if you've been ba- if you've been already baptized once doesn't need to be done Again, and I actually would say it was it is wrong to do it again. Um, so that's and then that's kind of the objective subjective thing. Um, if you want to read any more than that, the problem is there's not a lot of good books that have come across on baptism. If you want to read more on baptism, I'm going to go over to my shelf. And let's have a look. J.V. Fesco wrote a book a couple of years ago that was, I found pretty helpful. Word, Water, and Blood. I think that's, I can see it in the distance. That book, especially, if you want to dive more into the whole objective subjectivity of the of sacrament of baptism, especially the last chapter, uh, I would recommend that. It was a bit of an eye-opener. Deals with um, Charles Hodge, actually, and his view on this versus the rest of the American Presbyterian Church of the day. This is back in the 19th century. And realize you can learn from the past. There are people who have written on baptism before. And um, we all have a lot to learn in these areas, especially for no matter how long we've been Presbyterian or whatever the case may be. There are areas we can all grow in. So, J.V. Fesco. And there's another book that I have misplaced by Reformation Heritage Books. Oh, yeah. We and Our Children. And it's got a picture of a baby on the front of it if you go to Reformation Heritage Books. We and Our Children. 
that was quite helpful too. A bit more from the Dutch position. Again, I am looking at this book from a distance, and I don't know if my my vision is getting worse. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, but um, if you want those names of those books again, MegiddoRadio at gmail.com, and I'll send you the names of those books because there's, eh, there's a bit of a struggle um, to get good books on infant baptism and other things like that uh, in recent times. If you want a good book that is purely... Maybe, and I haven't read in a long time now, So, but from what I remember, it's a really good, really good book. Pierre Marcel. Uh, originally, it was written in French, translated into English, and I think it's called The Doctrine of Infant Baptism. It spends most of the book really dealing with covenant theology. You, you wouldn't even know the book was about infant baptism right up until the end. So, um, but I haven't read in a long time. So if there's, <laughs> sometimes I recommend books and I haven't read these books in such a long time. And um, so, but I know that this, I know I've struggled over the years to find good books on baptism or books that I've really, really benefited from. And I think it's a neglected area. And we're just happy as long, I think, in reform circles, we're just happy as long as people aren't Baptists. And I think we need to we need to aim for a, a greater depth than that. And um, and I think we need to kind of go a little bit deeper than that, rather than just say, "Oh, as long as everybody's not credo Baptist in our in our," I think we need to. I think there's more work to be done than that. What is the nature of the visible church? All these kind of things. And uh, anyway. Right, um, and it's in, then it says in question 177, whereas the Lord's Supper is to be administered often, it doesn't say how often, it just says often, because that's kind of, um, for example, I know of churches, I know of a church that does it six times a year, and I know of another church that does it twice a year. Now, it depends on the view of communions. Um, I had the great blessing being at a congregation a few weeks ago in Ayr, in Scotland, um, Free Church of Scotland Continuing Church. And their communion season is different. Well, it's actually different to my past or anything like that, but their communion will start on the Thursday and end on the Monday, and then Sabbath morning they will have uh, the Lord's Supper. So I was, a, I was really, really blessed to be there and, and you know, to administer uh, the sacrament there. They do twice a year. Now, that might not sound like a lot, but the great thing is people are visiting from other places, People are there from other congregations, and it's very much not just about that congregation, but other congregations as well. It's a wonderful thing, and people will visit everywhere else, and it's ah, it's it's brilliant. I was like, well, more people should be doing this. Um, so anyway, um, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is, do the best you can in in the situation you're in. But the Lord's Supper is for God's people to gather together, to be to be blessed and nourished by Christ. And it, 
and even our understanding of the visible church and the wider church and the church Catholic, small c, will influence, I think, how we approach it in terms of communion one with another, not just, hey, my own congregation kind of thing, but I think it'd be good to encourage people. I think it's a good it's a good practice because you've got a situation where yeah, I'm not saying hey, this is the perfect practice, everybody else needs to do it, but you've got twice a year and then a lot of people can kinda of go to five, six times a year in different in different congregations and visit different places and other things like that and to be blessed by um communion one with another. So that was in uh, a recent experience, first time in my life um, experiencing that, really, really enjoying it. And um, yeah, and uh, so baptism, by the way, if you're going, to, somebody's being baptized, it's not just about that individual. It's a, it's about the church and it's set, the, the, that sign and seal is set before the church. Yes, that person is being it's a sign seal being grafted in, into Christ, but it is for the whole church. And, and it's such a blessing with the sacraments. And I think both of those sacraments, whether it be the Lord's Supper, or baptism, they're both seals. I, I think that's something that we don't really think about enough when it comes to Oh, I don't know. We we began the program talking about assurance and struggles with assurance. The question is, are you looking to the Jesus who is signify who, who has been pointed toward in the sacraments, right? Have you got confidence in him? To deliver your soul, then you're saved. How much confidence do you need? The grain of a mustard seed, the smallest amount of faith. You're looking to him. But as you grow in confidence, you're going to have more assurance that you truly belong to him. The answer to all of our struggles. The answer to the unbeliever is Christ. You must come to Christ. You must look to him by faith and by faith alone. You must come to the Christ who's been signified and sealed before you in baptism. You must come to the Christ signified and sealed in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. You must come to the Christ who offers us his flesh and his blood. He offers us his life, his, his flesh gives life. Now these are signs and seals. The bread does not turn into the physical flesh of Christ and the wine does not turn into the physical blood of Christ. But by faith, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are fed by Christ, we meet with Christ, we are nourished by Christ, we are encouraged by Christ, we are assured by Christ, and we are encouraged by Christ. Oh, friends, I would encourage you to study about the Lord's Supper. What a blessing it is. It doesn't just become some ritual that you tag on to the end of a service that we truly prepare our hearts, that when we prepare our hearts, when we come to the Lord's table, we 
We wish to be further away from our sin and closer to him because we meet him at the table. We meet him. We are built up by him. We are fed by him. We are, we are invited to eat and drink with him and be satisfied by him. It's not just to memorize. Yeah, we are to remember the Lord's death until he come. And it's more than that. It's a means of grace. It's a blessing to be in our presence. Because I, I think this is one of the reasons. Because we don't really, we downplay the sacraments to such an extent. Because we're so afraid of the Roman Catholic errors. And we should be. We, we shouldn't. We shouldn't dismiss falling into any kind of error. We should diligently study not to fall into any superstitious or material, ipso facto, whatever kind of Roman Catholic views of just because you're baptized, you're definitely okay and continuing on the sacraments, kind of a sacramental system. We don't want that. But but in fear of that, we've gone to the opposite extreme, probably kind of like a, a Quaker and a very mystical extreme where the, the sacraments don't really mean anything and not really important. And so we don't find encouragement in a proper way. Unfortunately, when it comes to baptism, we just say, oh, look, another person, a baby. Isn't that cute? And a family day out. Rather than, here's another person who's part of the visible church, born into the church, to be built up and incur- and to be taught by the church, to, to and be pointed towards Christ in their walk with him, and that they are part of the church. They're to be nourished by Christ within the bosom of the church, prayed for, educated in the bosom of the church. One generation to another. Yes, their own parents, but also fathers, spiritual fathers with spiritual children. And and this we find encouragement in. But not just that. We remember our own baptism. We remember that we're to look back to our own baptism and realize that we have been, if we're trusted in this Jesus who's signified and sealed who's set before us in baptism. We have been washed, we have been sanctified. And we grow in grace. So we look to our own baptism. When we come to the baptism of others, we find encouragement. We ought to find encouragement. But the problem is, we've, I think we've so, we've so stripped the means of grace out of the sacraments. I think that's one of the reasons, among many, and among others as well, that we struggle. In our faith. Many of us do. And then. To find. Encouragement. In the Lord's Supper. Now I want to. want to think about a, a few things. Um, when we. When you come to the table of the Lord. Children. Like my children for example. Are nine years old. They're not old enough. To. Come to the Lord's table. Do I leave them at home when we're having the Lord's table? No, not at all. They can 
watch and see Christ being the same Christ being signified and sealed and see the people of the Lord when they reach maturity they can examine themselves and and having their their faith assured and being blessed and encouraged therefore they want to grow up to reach that point where they they feel they can come and they've examined themselves to see if they've been the faith they can rightly discern the Lord's body and blood and that they look to and ask what what is signified in the bread what is signified in the blood what is seal what is a seal and they do ask these questions and these in a picture form, they set before us Christ. You know, it's so horrible that we, we, we erect so many idols, false idols, ones erected in our minds and put pictures on the front of books and say this is Christ. It's not. It's an idol. Or other times, and sometimes these people talk about restoring classical theism and all this kind of thing, and they stick... Images of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit on the front of their books. Well, classical theism usually in the, in the early centuries was very concerned about not just simplicity, not just the saiety, not just all these topics, and they're very important, but also they were concerned about the second commandment. But Christ has given us a picture to encourage us, to assure us, a sign and a seal in the bread and the wine and in the water in, 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 the, in baptism. So the next time you're going to the Lord's Supper, seek to put sin to death in your life so that you may seek greater blessings and assurance and encouragement at the Lord's table. And when you come to having another, somebody else is being baptized, it's not their day. It's not just a day about the individual. There is a sense, yes, that they, it is, but it's set before the whole church. And remember your own baptism, that you have been grafted into Christ. You belong to Christ. You don't belong to yourself. So if you don't belong to yourself, why would you go and serve those sins? Find greater contentment and joy. And I just pray by, look, we've only looked at those two questions. Hopefully, I pray by God's grace that these times when you go and you see and, and the congregation is having a baptism, that you're blessed by being there. And when you're in the, when you've come to the Lord's table, that you're blessed by that same Christ who blesses all by faith and by faith alone. If you've got any questions, we get a radio at gmail.com. Um, there may be a break in programming in November. I'm not too sure. Um, but we'll try to keep these programs up to date um, if you have any topics you would like me to cover you can email me at radio at gmail.com m-e-g-i-d-d-o radio at gmail.com um, 
hopefully by God's grace has been a blessing to you and an encouragement to your soul. St. Paul Flynn, may God bless you all.